The following has been brought to you by SJP World Media. One day I shall come back. Yes, I shall come back. Tear? Sarah Jane? Hello and welcome to the Doctor Who pod. Back again, looking at stories by the weird little dude in his little blue nonce box. I am Sai, and joining me as always is my partner in time, Mr. Dan Griffin. How are you, my friend? <laughs> You've said me already, say fucking nonce box. <laughs> well, I mean, it's, it's, it, that, that will come up later on, to be honest. Um, yeah. But yeah, I've. Uh, I'm not too bad, mate. I'm not too bad. It's been too long since we've done this. I'm glad to be back. I am a little bit under the weather. So apologies if I'm a bit low energy or a bit slow in my in my thought patterns or speech. I've, uh, I've been suffering from a few migraines and I've, uh, I've just had my booster jabs and they're just kicking in. So, yeah, it's been better, but we're talking Doctor Who, so it can't be all bad. Exactly. And I am crazy excited as well to be talking this Doctor Who. Uh, last night, you know, the, the night before recording here, um, me and Dan exchanged a few messages and I was telling him how excited I am about this because I can remember this airing. This is peak my my sort of fandom as a child. I was seven or, or eight when this was first broadcast. I can vividly oh, remember. Bastard. Yes, I am. I can vividly remember being <laughs> sat in my parents' front room watching certain parts of this story. It really stands out to me. And it's one of those that, okay, there's the stuff we're going to discuss that maybe hasn't aged brilliantly, or maybe there are moments that are a bit on the wobbly side, not to mention the Daleks as they try and roll down the road on one scene, a little bit on the wobbly <laughs> side. But I, I still fucking love this story. You know, cards on the table straight away. I still love this story because it reminds, it, it's a nostalgia factor. We are, of course, talking about Remembrance of the Daleks, first broadcast in October of 1988, uh, Sylvester McCoy is the Doctor, and we have, as as normally, I suppose, the majority of his run, Ace as his companion. I'm guessing, Dan, as always, you've not seen this before? Yeah, to uh, to borrow one of your phrases, I ain't seen this before, uh, before I watched it for the show. Um, and just to get straight into it, I thought it started out, sort of the pre-credits, a little scene that was was very good. You had famous speeches overlapping and a shot of Earth from space. There was uh, you know, a bit of JFK, a bit of Martin Luther King, and, and, a, and a spaceship that was filmed underneath it. All it felt very Star Wars. Um, yeah, obviously, yeah. obviously on a TV budget, which is which is not an insult um, because it still looked really good. So I thought, oh, we're in, we're in for something here. Mm. 
Yes, definitely. And we're going to come to the uh, to the budget and the spaceship and so on a little bit later on because there's a few things that I, in my research and so on. Yeah, that's right. Believe it or not, I do do some. In my research building up to recording today, there's a few things I found out which I think is fantastic, but we're going to get to that shortly. Uh, this fancy. is the, the 25th season of Doctor Who, and there's a lot of throwbacks in this particular story to the very first episode and an earthly child. Um, we're back at Coal Hill School, for example. We're back in mm-hmm. November of 1960. I mean, to, to put a final point on it, the date that the Doctor and Ace arrive is actually the 22nd of November, 1963. So in theory, the day before the first episode of Doctor Who actually aired on the BBC, mm-hmm. uh, we have references back to the scrapyard where the TARDIS was first seen in that initial episode way back when. And, and I think this is just, I, I love all that sort of stuff. I mean, I, I like the way that, I like the way New Who now has those moments where it throws back to classic Who and the origins of the show and past characters, past situations, past scenery and so on. But having classic Who itself reference classic Who from previous, I get a real kick out of that. And 99% of this, I would probably say I didn't get when I watched it when I was a child. Yeah. Because I would have known. It makes it so much better. Um, and, and just watching this now, I'm really glad we did, you know, we did Unearthly Child in a previous season because I'd have got it to a point, you know, all the references and whatnot, but it makes me enjoy it so much more. But also it brings up things from decades later, you know, for like Colville School and, and reference, referencing the caretaker episode that Peter Capaldi was in. That was crap, by the way. Um, <laughs> I remember it being crap. But yeah, so this this serial tied together so much of, of, of past and... Um, can you say future? Something that's already happened. But, you know, past and future, past and future who? This really feels like a, um, a sort of a nexus point story for, for a lot of little things that happens throughout. Yeah. Yeah, without a doubt. Without a doubt. Uh, we, we begin then, I guess with the Doctor and Ace, we don't see the TARDIS materialise, which is always a bit of a shame, but we see the Doctor and Ace wandering around in in, in London, in, in the area they are at, uh, in 1963. And there is Coal Hill School. There's a military presence around anyway, uh, but there's a young child as well, a, a young girl, who is just sort of being creepy throughout the whole story. We first see her quite early on, stood by the school. And Ace has got a huge 1980s, well, I've got Ghetto Blaster in my notes, but she refers to it as her tape deck later on, doesn't she? I, I, I called it a boombox in my notes, and I, it was yeah. cool as fuck, wasn't it? She's rocking yes. up, leather jacket, boombox, baseball bat, just all sorts of badass. And then there's Sylvester McCoy with his brolly and his, uh, his, his uh, question mark vest. <laughs> yeah. See, we're talking about stuff like that then. I, I think because it's the era that I grew up watching, and again, we come back to that nostalgia factor that makes me love it so much. The more I watch back now, the more I think maybe I give certain things a bit of a free pass mm. that I would potentially criticize if it was a different era without me having watched it as a kid and so on. And the character of Ace, for example, I love Ace. And I've said since we started this project doing the, the Doctor Who pod, that Ace is one of my favorite all-time companions. And it is the fact, because she was my companion growing up as a kid. She's the first one I can remember. Mm. But when you watch some of these back, 
she's trying to she she's basically being written like she is this kind of rebellious streetwise cool kid i guess mm. but they don't do very well with regards to her dialogue or, or anything like that do they the, 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 the no. words they're giving her i mean this opening scene here she's like oh it's not my fault this decade doesn't have any street cred and it's just like oh do you realize what a fucking knobhead you signed right now yeah but that's a pro- that's a problem in tv since the dawn of time adults writing younger people just never works mm. It, it, yeah. It's so rare that people get that absolutely right, and it's because by the time you're sort of in a, to, by the time you're old enough to be in a position to to write those characters, you're already so out of touch. Of the vast majority of people are already so out of touch with the vernacular and and and, and the slang and all that that it's you're just going to sound shit. Mm. Whereas if you you know, like what we'd have to do. Oh, is or, or I'd, I'd have to do is write a show set in the early two thousands. If I was going to write how kids talked back then, because that's what I understand. Yeah, you know, yeah I, I get it. Teenagers, that, that that's that's the problem. So yes, you can give it a free pass, but I think it's 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 also allowed to have a free pass because it's such a problem in television as a whole. It's not Doctor Who specific. Mm. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I get that. Fair enough. Um, so yeah, I'm defending well AC, so you should be you should be well on board with that. <laughs> oh, without a doubt, without a doubt. As well as the creepy little girl who is going around, and the, uh, she has that creepy girl music playing whenever she appears on screen as well. It's yeah, kind of it's, trying to pick um, that up. Like, do, 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 yeah. do, do, do. It's quite it, um, it's quite Nightmare on uh, Elm Street. Just to talk yeah. about because they have the uh, the kids who sing the Freddy song. You know, one, two, Freddy's coming for you, and they do they do that here with the little girl when she a little bit mm. later on when she's playing hopscotch and singing about the doctor. Um, yeah, that's uh, and I think I think a song similar to that uh, crops up again uh, in the Matt Smith era. It's only a snippet from one of the series, but it's uh, it, there's a, there's a line in the song about when River kills the doctor, and it's to the same tune. Right. Okay. Yeah, fair enough. So, so, so straight, you know, straight away, you're getting this kid's bad news, aren't you? Instantly because yeah. of the music, you know? <laughs> and it wins my heart because we've got the creepy little girl, we've got the weird TV detective Anna, and she just wants to go for some group. Yeah. Oh, we're going to come to the talking about the cafe in a minute because just before then, we come across this van. And it, you know, so it's, it's a knackered old, what looks like a potentially a Ford Transit. I'm not 100% sure. It's a knackered old van. But it's got some fucking massive sod off aerial on top of it, and it's making crazy, <laughs> crazy beeping noises. And we it's like, yeah, we would beep, beep indeed. And it's like the doctor's like, mm, "This is unusual. What do you make of this van?" And Ace is just like, "Just get me some grub, man. I don't give a shit about the van. <laughs> I, just want, I, just, I just want four bacon sandwiches and a cup of coffee." Yeah, what was that about? The doctor gives her some money, and she goes off to this cafe. And she she ordered, well, this is where we first meet the character of Mike. And Mike is sat in the cafe having a cup of tea, reading the paper and so on. Creepy. And Ace, uh, yeah. Yeah, he's a, he's not a good dude, is he, this fella? He's, he's just, I mean, Ace is a young lass. What is she, 17, 16, 17 in this or something like that? I meant to be something like that, because the whole Ace and, and, Sylve- and Celeste McCoy's doctor relationship is very student-teacher, almost, yes. almost parental. And it, it, this is the second time now where we've seen characters trying to flirt with Ace, and it just makes my skin crawl. Yeah. 
I mean, Sophie Aldred herself, I mean, she was what in her mid twenties at this point, wasn't she? I believe she, she's 60 now. So this was what, 20, uh, 35 years, years ago. ago. Yeah. Yeah. So she'd have been in her twenties at this stage, but still the character itself, again, it comes back to how it's written, I guess, because mm. quite often in Doctor Who, especially New Who, you tend to find that the companions can be, oh, I don't know how to word it, a romantic interest for the, the passing characters that pop up once in a blue moon on the show. Yeah. It's like in Christopher Eccleston era when that, that Adam Nobed turned up for a little bit. Yeah. 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 There you go. But, with the character of Ace, she's written to be this young lass, so it makes it a bit well, let's just call it what it is. It makes it a bit noncy by Mike here, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. And it's, it's, yeah, it just, I, I've got in my notes here, I said, please, God, don't have any more awkward flirting with the child. Um, <laughs> turns out we do get that. And then it doesn't get any better because the doctor starts chasing the little girl around the schoolyard, you know, engaging in his own form of. Apparent nonsense. Yeah, that was weird. But I mean, Mike has to call the guy who runs the cafe for Ace, and that's when we we get the bit where you said, "Damn, she orders four bacon sandwiches." Oh, what the, do, what do you know hell? what? What fair play to her. Fair play to her. I love that bacon. You and me, fine. But for Ace, four bacon sandwiches. There's nothing to her. Where's she going to put it? Do you not remember when when you were that age and like everybody just ate like a horse? No, not really. I mean, it was a long time ago for you. Yeah, cheers, mate. <laughs> <laughs> Motherfucker. Anyway, I'm, hey, hey not long after this, I've got the volley. I'm trying to up my energy levels because I need to match. Uh, I need to match Matt's banter. So, <laughs> ah, fair enough. Fair enough. Um, but what the, the the next bit when you know when I said the doctor chasing the girl around the schoolyard is she singing the song about the doctor. Um, he, he says really creepily, and I don't know why they chose to use this this take. Is she doesn't talk to strangers? Very wise. Oh, very like, wise. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> All that came into my head was um, was Chris Pratt in um, in Jurassic World, just <laughs> looking at the looking at the raptor and just going, or one of the dinosaurs going, "Clever girl." I was like, "Ah." <laughs> oh, um. The doctor has a look around the school, and and again, nobody thinks anything of it. Nobody's like, "Well, why is there a little weird dude, talk, you know, following a girl around the playground and in the school grounds and all this sort of why, stuff?" Why isn't the kid in class? <laughs> well, this is it. This is it. And if, in theory, if you've got, if the dates are taken to to be accurate, that you know, we're, I, I look up and we research and we're told and so on. The 23rd of November is obviously a Saturday because that's when the first episode of Doctor Who had. So this would make today a Friday in 1963. So yeah, you're right. Why isn't the girl in school, first of all? And secondly, is no one going to stop this weird little dude sniffing the floor and wandering around the playground? Oh, I nearly, I nearly made a proper wrong joke then. Um, yeah, it's, it's weird, but that's the kind of safeguarding we're talking in 1963. This was the era where two teachers could follow a kid home and nobody found it weird. Well, yeah, that, that literally happened the following day, didn't it? So, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> From the same school. Perhaps it's just that school. Perhaps that school needs to be heavily investigated by Ofsted or whatever it is that does these sort of things. You know, <laughs> Coal Hill School, there was something going on there. It's a weird place. I mean, you said yourself, the doctor got a job later on as the caretaker there. You know, I bet they didn't do his, his proper checks or anything like that, because he's hired in the space of five minutes on that. 
Well, he's, he's offered the job later on here as well, isn't he? It's proper weird. But we'll get yeah. to that because next up, he's back at the van and he just gets in and starts chatting to the woman inside. Professor Rachel. Professor Rachel Jensen, yeah. Who actually, her and uh, Alison, who crops up later on, I really like these two as side characters. Yeah, they're great, isn't they? I like the way because we, we get the um uh the, the sort of commanding officer, don't we, for this this section of the the military that's involved in this fighting of the Daleks and so on. And he's very old school, you know, British officer kind of mentality. And they just whip the mm. piss out of him all the way through, and it's bloody brilliant. Oh, the, the group captain Gilmore, uh, yes. I believe his name is. He's, a, he's our typical stuffy, uh, by-the-book military man who, who has very little imagination or concept of, of, of anything. And mm-hmm. the Doctor is particularly scathing of humanity in this one, and the, and the group captain. And then, yeah, uh, Professor Jensen and, and Alison just rip the piss out of him, literally call him a Nazi. Yeah. And it's... yeah. It's just, yeah, go on, good on your lasses. It, it's because uh, <laughs> he's just a bit of an insufferable, pompous tool. Well, we're going to get some Nazi references as well, aren't we? Obviously, the oh, dialects are involved, yeah. and they are like they are like you know, rollable Nazis, I suppose, is the um, is what <laughs> you might describe, but it's. <laughs> but we're going to get some references. I mean, the headmaster, <laughs> when we cast Nazis, Nazis, there we go. <laughs> <laughs> the headmaster himself later on. I mean, I've got a few things I need to bring up about that guy anyway when we when we bump into him quite soon. Um, played by Michael Sheard. He's got a bit of a hit attach going on as well, hasn't he? He looks a little mm. bit adult. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> a, touch, a touch of Hitler about him, yeah. <laughs> uh, um the doctor in the van with Professor Rachel, she calls out to Mike. And who is with Ace and Ace follows Mike because the doctor's calling to her as well to get in the van and they're heading off somewhere because another soldier has been killed and he, he's did dead you, in the load. So did you catch the uh, the look on Ace's face when he when she she saw him respond to Sergeant? He looked yeah. disgusted. <laughs> she was like, You noncy bastard. All I wanted was, was like, a bacon, Ugh. Sarney. Yeah. yeah like, oh, I'm starting to fancy I'm starting to fancy an army guy. <laughs> 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 uh they they zip off to the um to Totter's Lane, which of course is you know quite a symbolic uh, location in the in the history of Doctor Who. And th- there's a, a soldier there in the scrapyard who is dead. The doctor identifies him as having been killed by a death ray, his insides have been scrambled and, and so on. Oh, what a great line, by the way. Massive mm. internal displacement and people like there. Eh? And it's just is that his inside scrambled and Yes. Ooh, visceral image. <laughs> now, this something here pissed me off a little bit because to me it's just a silly oversight. I don't understand it. We're going back here to the location of the very first episode of Doctor Who, and there's mm-hmm. references all the way through it to the locations, the places they are. If anything, we spend more time in locations of the first episode of Doctor Who in this story than we do in the original. But it's you know, we, we have the, the famous scrapyard and the school and all this sort of stuff. Now, the scrapyard, famously, is 76 Totters Lane, and it's ran by I.M. Foreman. And that's you know quite symbolic on the on the, the gates and so on. Um, I, I took my daughter to uh, Comic-Con in Gloucester. They had that set up there for her to have a picture took in front of it. It's quite a symbolic site, especially the old black and white image where it's, you know, foggy and 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 you know, old and so on mm. 
Foreman in the original is spelt F-O-R-E-M-A-N. In this one, for some reason, they've misspelt the name in, in, when they go back to Todd. And, and the E is missing from the name Foreman. It's just F-O-R-M-A-N. And I don't know why, but that really pissed me off. <laughs> yeah, because it's such a simple thing, isn't it? Yeah. To get right. Um, I don't know. It's somebody, somebody fucked up. Mm. So annoying. So annoying. But anyway, the army descends upon the scrapyard and we basically very quickly figure out that there's a Dalek in this part of the part of the scrapyard and it's the Dalek's going to try and shoot its way out. The army people who are not interested whatsoever in the doctor saying, don't bother, you're all going to get killed. They're, as always, right. they, they tend to just be like, yeah, let's go for it anyway, you know? So this is a, sort of the start of a pattern in this far part of because when the captain disbelieves the thing about the death ray, the doctor is almost contemptuous. So what a predictable response. And then the captain, yeah. then the doctor tries to warn the captain of the danger, which I have faith in my men. They're the very best. And at this point, I'm with the doctor. I'm like, he's, he's, a, he's a tool. And apparently the motorbike driving past my house agreed. Um, I don't know if that picked <laughs> up on, on the audio. I barely, barely. Yeah, it's it's always this type of character. It's just like, oh god, this dick again. Yeah, the, doctor accidentally, the doctor accidentally calls him the brigadier at one point as well, didn't he? Which I quite like. Oh, that made me laugh though. Yeah, that did make me laugh. And the little references to you know, the doctor knows there isn't a way out of the shed because he's been there before. Yeah, yeah. And bits and pieces like that's all. That's all very fun. But then the Dalek starts firing and we get a great shot from the Dalek's point of view. And I like this sort of green sniper scope that we've got going on with the alien writing. I think that looks brilliant. Um, the doctor the doctor now wants more information on the Dalek. The doctor says to retreat. The captain says, no. So why fucking ask if you're not going to do what you're told? Mm, yeah. Idiot. <clears throat> And then he has this, what am I dealing with? Little green men. And the doctor says, no, little green blobs in polycarbide armour. Yeah, that was a cool line as well, wasn't it? Love it. Love it. And then yeah. he orders the grenade fire anyway, does this. Sorry, I'm running away with it a little bit. No, carry on, carry on. <laughs> My nose literally say, Captain orders grenade fire anyway, the dick. <laughs> Ace enjoys <laughs> the explosions. And the captain says, nothing remotely human can survive three grenades in close proximity. And the doctor gets another great line saying, that's the point. It's not remotely human. Yeah. It's excellent, isn't it? Really good dialogue there. Uh, maybe leaning a touch towards being a bit cheesy, but I don't mind that. I think it works really, really um, well. A touch melodramatic, maybe, in the moment, because it, it's the doctor's the only one that seems to be taking this incredibly seriously. But yes. he's also the only one that knows the full scale of the threat. And again, it's um, it feels very much like um, Silver Nemesis. Uh, which I was going to compare to later on, in that throughout this, the only cons the only constant is that the Doctor is is the one that knows what's going on and, and fully grasps yeah. the level, the sort of gravity of the whole situation. Well, I mean, I, I was going to make some comparisons with Silver Nemesis uh, as well, but as soon as you brought it up, I might as well we might as well just discuss it quickly now. The whole theme of this particular story is that there's something incredibly powerful that the Doctor has left behind or set up to come back or whichever st story you look at, there's something incredibly powerful that bad guys want to get hold of. Mm. There's different groups of bad guys who are fighting each other to be able to get this powerful thing. 
and the doctor is manipulating the whole situation to get what he wants in the end anyway it's effectively the same story give or take just exchanging cybermen and daleks and and, and other details as well that the general gist of the two stories are very similar i thought they are yeah and that's not i, I don't view that as a bad thing but you know, some people say, oh, well, it's just, you know, it's very easy to generalize. So it's just the same thing done over again. It's like, no, it's the same style of story. Yeah. We've got all these pieces put into place and we're being led along and, and brought along to see how they all fit together. Yeah. And I like that. I really do. I, th- I think Silver Nemesis and this one have both done it very, very well. Um, I'm not sure which I prefer. I think I might have to rewatch Silver Nemesis just so I've got a more, just so I can try and remove any recency bias. But um, just as a general thing, I was very impressed with the pacing of this one. That this is a far part, a, a lot happens, um, but at no point do you ever feel lost. At no point did I ever feel sort of left behind. As I've said before, this very much kept the kept the viewer going along with it, and nothing ever stayed too long. It didn't overstay its welcome. It just kept you along for the ride, mm-hmm. and then just very nicely yeah yeah i agree i agree um effectively the dalek needs dealing with now because it's zapping the shit out of everybody so (laughs) the doctor turns around and has a brilliant line here to ace give me some of that nitro nine you're not carrying because the the ongoing battle about that is 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 pretty you know regular with regards to the seventh doctor and so on doctor takes two canisters of the nitro nine um, sets up a little trap, calls the Dalek over, blows it up, and so on. Um, and again, quite effective. And, and Sylvester McCoy has to do a little stuntman jump from the explosion because Ace misled the Doctor with uh, how long she thought the fuse was going to be on the explosives, <laughs> which was quite funny. Um, and then they just decide to steal the van. And I think they're heading back to the school at this point, aren't they? Yeah, they're, they're off to figure out what's going on, find out more. Uh, Rachel is examining the, the blown up Dalek and, and looking at the organic component as she calls it. But because they're going back to the, uh, to the school because the doctor says it's the wrong type of Dalek, um, yeah. which is interesting. Now, when they nick the van, um, Ace is trying to start it and it's not going anywhere. And the doctor starts, he says, choke. And she says, no, I'm all right. Thanks. I'm, you know, I'm not struggling to breathe or something like that, but she had to pull the choke out now. I've never seen. I've never had to. I've never seen that done on a car or a van before. So I was like, "What the really? hell is that thing?" Oh, yeah, I remember that um, like as a kid. My parents yeah, had a. Um, well, I say my parents. It was more so my mum because my dad was a driving instructor for since I was like five up until he, he mm. retired, and he always had. I don't remember my dad ever having a choke in any of his cars, but my mum because his car was like his business, obviously. So he used to have like you know. A certain standard of vehicle my mum used to drive the dogs around in her car and so it didn't matter if she had a bit of a banger or a bit of a run around and mm. she had like an old escort at one point um and she had an old Vauxhall. yeah 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 <laughs> an, an old an old or chevette as well i remember her having and they both had chokes and i distinctly remember my mum having to pull the choke in and out a few times to get the car going on cold mornings because it just wouldn't fucking start so to me, it was quite kind of, again, I suppose, quite reminiscent of being a kid, you know? Mm. Yes, yeah, the, the earliest car I can remember is a, is, a, is an old uh, Ford Orion. That okay. I don't, re- I don't remember having a choke, but I was like three. 
So mm-hmm. it's like, yeah. like, oh shit, what the hell's that? And then I, had to, I sort of just jogged my memory and just like, oh yeah, that's how we used to stack cars. Um, I don't know why I'm getting all nerdy about it, but it, it just amused me slightly and it was a bit of a bad joke that I quite enjoyed. Uh, but what I did like as well is, <laughs> this was again a little bit cheesy, the Doctor's trying to give Ace a brief history on the Daleks and, and while also quarrelling about her driving. And Ace just gives you the, well, do you want to drive then? And they drive through a tunnel and they've just switched places. Yeah. <laughs> that is great. I like the exchange as well, though. It's it's It reminds me so much of what I loved about Ace and Sylvester McCoy's Doctor. The exchange just beforehand where Ace is driving and the Doctor's trying to explain to her about the hand of Omega, which is the, the powerful device everyone's after, and the Daleks and so on. And he says, oh, yeah, the hand of Omega um, was left here. But he means left here, as in he's given directions. And she says, it was left here by by who? And he's yeah. like, no, no, left. And she's like, oh, right, no, no, left. And then that's when they are. I, I thought that was really well done. Yeah, it's it's, it's one of those jokes, isn't it? It, it, it? Where it's we've seen it all before, but it was so well done in in the context that uh, yeah, it was it was hysterical. And then mm. just the switching of the seats and Ace's face were like, how did I get here? <laughs> yeah, definitely. Um, we're then introduced to two. Quite, quite prominent characters, I suppose, in the early parts of this serial. We have Ratcliffe arriving, mm. and he's bad news straight away, played by George Sewell, who... Yeah. Do you recognise this guy? I do. I've, I did look him up. I've not seen a lot of the stuff he's been in, but as I was watching it, my old man walked through the room and just looked at it, oh, bloody hell, George Sewell. <laughs> yeah. See, What's I remember him... I remember him being the superintendent from a TV show called Detectives. Yes, and that's that's the one that I remember the most because I used to watch the Detectives when I was a kid. Yeah, sort of mid nineties sitcom. Jasper Carrot wrote it and starred in it, and I remember yeah. it being very very funny when I was a kid. But if I watched it now, I'm not sure how well it would have aged. But I remember I remember laughing lots when I was younger at it. Yeah, same. Cause it, I think it ran till the. I think it ran ninety three to ninety seven, didn't it? The detectives. So okay. That, that was. I think that it finished when I was like eight, and then it was still been re- obviously rerunning the late nineties as well. Right. Um, okay. So yeah. I used to watch it whenever it was on, and absolutely howl, even though I probably didn't get a lot of it. Um, it was. Uh, but yeah, I remember enjoying it. But it was in things like Randall and Hopkirk, and uh, what was it? Like Manhunt and Special Branch, and and things like that. So or the Sweeney as well. So. Yeah, yeah, he had a hell of a career. Did George Shield considering he didn't start acting until he was um, until he was thirty-five? Right. Okay. Um, we're also introduced here to the headmaster. It's literally just the name he's given in the cast list. He's the headmaster of the school, uh, played by Michael Sheard. And what I found out here, I mean, obviously this guy is very recognisable. First of all, he's, he's Mister Bronson from Grange Hill. If you can remember that era of Grange I've Hill, I've never really watched Grange Hill, but yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, he was the deputy headmaster, Mister Bronson, and he was an he was a nasty piece of work in Grange Hill, very uh, horrible, spiteful teacher, and so on. Um, he was in it for a, a good few years, but one of those characters that really sort of stands out from that era of television. But yeah. what I've <laughs> I also think seen, I think I've just found what you're going to say next. But go on. Okay, what I've also seen is that this guy was in Doctor Who, a fucking shed ton, and there's a couple of stories I'm oh. going to come to in a minute, but there's a few here. I mean, he was in The Mind of Evil in 1971. He was in Pyramids of Mars, 1975. 
The Invisible Enemy, 1977. Uh, and he also went on to work in audio dramas for Big Finish with the Eighth Doctor. But interestingly enough, not only is he in Remembrance of the Daleks that we're covering here, he's also in The Ark, which is going to be our first Doctor story this season. So we'll see him in that as well. Mm-hmm. And he's also in Castrovolva, which is the Peter Davidson story we're covering this season. So we're going to see nice. this dude three times in the, in the space of one of our one of our podcast seasons which i thought was quite funny i love how things like this play out um it's just great isn't it so yeah i can't wait to see if i pick up on on who he is and you know where which character is playing in those um what i found that i thought you were going to reference is we talked about him being looking a bit hitlery yes um he actually portrayed adolf hitler five times in his career Oh, okay. Well, there you go. Including, including <laughs> in, in, including in Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. Yeah, um, and he had roles in Star Wars as well, mind didn't he? He was the one in Empire Strikes Back who got forced choked to death by Vader. There you go. See, I, I have seen that, and I remember that scene. Yeah, We're back that's to the choking. Brilliant. Yeah. Yeah, we are back to the choking. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, that took me a second. I was like, "What? Oh, wait." Yeah. <laughs> um, um, yeah. No, Radcliffe's men, first of all, they, they take the Dalek away. And they've they've done in the uh, the soldiers who are guarding <laughs> a, the on, on, a fucking, Dalek. on a fucking flatbed covered in a tarp. Yeah. Practical, mate. Practical. Um, <laughs> and this is uh, we meet the, the, the headmaster because the doctor and Ace are driven back to the school. And the doctor mm-hmm. is he wants to have a look around the school. Uh, we're getting back into Nazi territory again here, aren't we? The headmaster initially goes, No, can't allow that. And I'm thinking, fair play, Hitler. Well done. You know, <laughs> don't, don't say that. <laughs> yeah, no, no, I'm gonna have to cut that. Like, cause some fuckers gonna, some fuckers gonna edit that and snip it into something else, aren't they? <laughs> <laughs> but um, then he, he goes all weird and plays with his ear a little bit, so he's getting messages from somewhere else and allows the doctor mm. and Ace to go and have a wonder. Um, this takes us into a classroom, which is where. The uh, story: The Doctor is looking out the window at markings on the floor where a, a ship has apparently landed, and so on. But Ace picks up a book uh, entitled "The French Revolution" and looks at it in a certain way. It opens it to a certain page, and it's a real throwaway moment, real tiny little thing. But that mm. was done intentionally because, again, in the very first episode, if you remember, in an, an, an Earthly Child, Susan picks up a book on the French Revolution and says that it's wrong. And it was done oh, deliberately yeah. to be a throwback to that moment. And apparently Sophie Aldred watched the footage of, of Susan doing that in the original episode several times to try and get the mannerisms and the body language and so on as close to the original as she could possibly get just for that couple of seconds of footage, which I think is brilliant. I love that. That is, that is proper dedication, isn't it, to the role and to, to sort of the, the, the history of, of Doctor Who. Ah, uh, that... <laughs> Just when you think you can't love Sophie Aldred more. Ah, uh, yes, indeed, indeed. Um, the Daleks want the hand of Omega, the Doctor explains, uh, and the Doctor's trying to sort of fill in, I suppose, Ace, but also the viewer with certain bits of history and storytelling. I, I thought that was Mike trying to do that. <laughs> well, yeah, Mike was, yeah, the Nazi oh, sergeant. I feel horrible saying that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, um, <laughs> As they leave, the camera focuses on Ace's boombox tape deck stereo effort. She's left it behind, which makes me think 
she can't care for it that much because you can't just forget that because it's fucking massive. <laughs> just relieved not to be carrying it anymore. The thing yeah, is, probably. just before that, they talk about the, the burn marks being the pattern of a landing craft or a spacecraft. Yes. Um, and the Doctor tries to remind her of the Zygons with the Loch Ness Monster that we've covered. Um, the Yetis in the underground, which we haven't yet covered. And she's, mm-hmm. well, I haven't heard any of that. And he has a great line saying, your species has the most amazing capacity for self-deception, only matched by its ingenuity when trying to destroy itself. It's a bit on the nose, but he's not wrong. No, this is true. This is true. Um, but they go for a little bit more of a wonder. We see Radcliffe here then talking to, uh, back in the scrapyard, talking to who I'm going to refer to literally as the Dalek boss. And we see this person, this image, this this thing from behind looking at a big screen. And obviously we know, having watched the four parts now, the situation, but this was done, I believe, intentionally to lead people to think this is Davros. To the point where I called this character Gimp Suit Davros until we find out who's controlling it later, and it all felt very inappropriate. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> all right, Mike. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Fuck off. Uh, uh, Radcliffe has taken uh, the, the Naka Dalek to the Dalek boss and is talking there, and it becomes very clear that Radcliffe is a nasty piece of work. He wants to have power and you know all the usual stuff that bad guys want to have. And he has a little speech where he's talking to the Dalek boss. I'm not sure if it's exactly here or maybe in the next episode, but I'll cover it here anyway, where he starts talking about how he's okay about a war coming. The Dalek boss says there's going to be a war because oh. there's two factions of Daleks. And yeah, he's okay it's, it's, not, it's, not, it's not quite yet. Okay. But anyway, well, I've, got, says, I've, got a fair, yeah, I've got a fair bit of that written down. It was fucking horrifying. Yeah, and he mentions that he <laughs> he wanted the other side to win in the last war. And he got put in prison because of his beliefs. It's like, yeah, because you're a fucking Nazi. Oh, my goodness. We've got Nazis and nonces everywhere again, haven't we? But it's but it's, it's almost like he's, he's playing for sympathy. Yeah. Which, you, which to be honest, given the state of, of, of politics at the minute, all hits a little bit too close to home. I'm not going to fully pull on that thread and go down that road. But... I see enough of I see enough of that in you know in the media and whatnot of people trying to play the victim when their ideologies don't suit that and it's just like oh holy fuck it's it's mm. not a new phenomenon <laughs> no no it's uh yeah it's not it's not in good taste is it no. oh dear um but we but have I will say, sorry I will say sorry, I don't think it was the I don't think it was the writer's intent to try and garner sympathy for the Nazi he was being I presented he was be, he was being presented as a villain. I just wanted to I just wanted to clarify that for anybody who may not have seen it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, oh dear. Um, the Doctor and Ace are still wandering around the school, and they decide. Well, the Doctor decides we're going to go look in the cellar, and Ace is like, "Well, why the cellar?" And the Doctor's like, "Well, it's a good place to put things." He's like, "Well, you're right. Fair play." And uh, <laughs> they head down these steps into the cellar, and there's what the Doctor refers to as a transmat machine. And it's to be used to basically beam Daleks in, kind of Star Trekky beam me up kind of effort, without being detected, um, without a big spaceship having to land and all that sort of stuff. And whilst they're talking about it and they're looking at it, we get a really cool effect, I think, especially considering it's 1988, of a Dalek yeah. part materialising and, and basically arriving in the transmat machine. I thought that looked really good, Dan. Yeah, because you see, like the innards. 
essentially. Yeah. You can see what looks like a brain. You can just about see the appendages um, that they go on to refer to later on. So, yeah, I think that's really, I think it was really cool because obviously the organic stuff's coming through first and then the shell after. But it looked so good for the time as well. I would give it yeah. major, major uh, props for that. Um, what I do like is the doctor performs some emergency wee woo beep boop and effectively blinks the Dalek out of existence because mm-hmm. he, it confused, he confused the transmat. So, you know, it couldn't exist, coexist at the same point in time and therefore it's destroyed. And he's just, just sort of slowed them down a bit. And they just say, and basically say, well, who's going to fix that? And they're just like, well, they, they always leave an operator behind to, for, you know, to do these kind of repairs. So that means another Dalek then. And it's that, she says it so logically that it's a really good sort of oh shit moment. Yeah. And then it, it and, turns and, up. And the operator so arrives. Yeah. Now, I, I spoke to my old man about this because I think I remember telling you when we covered Dalek, the Christopher Eccleston episode. Yes. My dad saw the Dalek floating. Yes, I thought of your dad when this happened, Jess. And got a bit knocked off that the Dalek was flying because, quote, Daleks don't do that. So I had to have a little word with him last night because the Doctor and Ace make for the stairs. Ace gets up first because the Doctor fucking slips, the little numpty. (laughs) (laughs) The Headmaster is, is at the top of the stairs, smacks Ace and then locks the door leaving the Doctor trapped with the Dalek. The Dalek levitates up the stairs. Mm-hmm. No, wait, hang on. 17 years before they did it with the Eccleston episode. Yep. And I've been, wait- I've been waiting 18 years <laughs> to point that out to my old man to win that argument. <laughs> <laughs> Brilliant. Well, no, not an argument, but, you know, just to make that point. Yeah, fair enough. Um, two things with this closing scene, because this is the cliffhanger, isn't it, from from, from episode one. Uh, yeah. and I think a very good cliffhanger as well. Um, first of all, the headmaster takes Ace out by kneeing her straight in the lady bits, and she passes out from this. I thought that yeah. was a little bit unnecessary. But um, the Dalek itself, the the white and gold uh, Imperial Dalek, as, as it gets, goes on to be called, what are your thoughts on that particular Dalek design and colour? It looks kind of cool. And it makes sense in this in this story. It mm-hmm. goes on to make more sense because at first I was like, "Oh, that's a bit fancy," you know, a bit too, a bit too. You know, the Daleks won the lottery or something. Decided to <laughs> decided to go, you know, decided to go all out. But yeah, I liked it. Um, Add a new dimension to it. Like I said, makes much more sense later on when we find out that there's two different factions. Yeah. Yeah, okay. This here, the white and gold design of the Dalek, is my favourite of all time. I love it. Absolutely love it. Because, again, it goes back to this particular story, um, it being so you know strong in my memory as a child. And I used to have little Doctor Who toys when I was a kid. I wish I still had them now, because I'm I'm, gutted. I don't know where they went. But one of the things I had when I was seven, eight years of age or whatever it was, was a little Dalek toy and it was the white and gold design this this one mm. we're looking at now and it was one of those that had a little spring inside it little spring loaded wheels so you'd put yeah. it backwards until it went click 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 and you let it go and the Dalek would whiz across the kitchen floor it had to be the kitchen because of the lino it wouldn't <laughs> fuck about on, it would it wouldn't have it on carpet it would just fall over but yeah it would fly about the place on I, I loved that little Dalek toy it was awesome oh man I'm jealous <laughs> but yeah it, it, the uh 
the less said about the uh, the heavy weapons Dalek that comes in later, the better. <laughs> yeah, we're going to have to discuss that in a bit. Episode yeah, two but- begins with Ace waking up from her death shot to her lady parts. And she... she, she- yeah, she she copped a knee in the nunny, so she went back with a shot to the daddy bags for all the for old Alistair doll. Oh, Adolf takes one right in the bollocks from Ace, doesn't he? And he cro- he cripples over. She opens the door and manages to save the doctor. Um, How long does it take that Dalek to blow that door down? Yeah, and also I I know it's for the purpose of the TV show. So it's, it's, it's kind of unfair, I guess, to critique it, I suppose. But there are certain moments I think to myself, well, that doesn't make sense. The Daleks are these killing machines who are able to, we've seen ever since the 60s, their guns have got quite a, you know, quite a diverse direction to them. They can rotate it wherever they need to. But this Dalek feels it needs to levitate all the way up the stairs to be point blank to the Doctor before shooting him. It could have shot him from, from the bottom of the stairs, I imagine. It just seems like a wasted yeah. opportunity to kill the doctor, you know. Yeah, but then again, you know, it's Saturday afternoon telly. You're not supposed to think about it that hard, as you said. But yeah, it's that sort of thing that can really take you out of it. And this is one of them where they've got time to get the doctor out, drag the headmaster off, find the chip behind his ear, and then the Dalek blows the door mm-hmm. and and sets the headmaster to work repairing the transmat. But. At least the uh, the doctor and Ace get um, get some anti tank rockets. Yes, yes. Um, th- I suppose this episode here is is full of a lot of setup, isn't it? In mm. this part, um, but we do get the Dalek getting blown to bits here, don't we? Which is quite cool. It's yeah, it is. Um, and we see we see the creepy laugh again. She's still lurking around the side of the van. Which the Doctor and Ace come back with the anti tank rockets, and Ace has a badass moment of uh, of aiming for the eyepiece and blowing the Dalek up with a single shot, which mm. was pretty cool. Um, and he's asking the asking them all to evacuate the area because there's a Dalek task force on the way, and there's a mothership in orbit, and blah de blah de blah. The captain is still disbelieving and storming off and asking Rachel, uh, Professor Rachel to corroborate, and it's just like, the Doctor's obviously the smartest, most knowledgeable person in that scenario. A human isn't going to know. It, right. It's just, it, it just it, the Captain just pisses me off. This, all this, this, mili- this kind of character just annoys me every single time. Even going back to the other McCoy episode we had with that wannabe army guy. If you remember him from, uh, was it Survival? Um... The, oh, the, the, yeah. T, the TA block. The guy who was just in the community centre shouting at kids. Yeah. Yeah, he was a fucking weird nonce dude as well, wasn't he? Too many of them in this uh, in this McCoy era. <laughs> well, it's BBC in the 80s, mate, isn't it? Well, yeah, fair play, fair play. Um, but it's all it's all going on and, and Rachel's still trying to get answers to, the, to her questions, but the doctor says he'll be back in the morning. He's going to go bury the past. Um, and we get a great line where Ace wants to go with him, but he says, no, it's not your past. You've not been born yet. And he, he takes a baseball bat with him. Um, ask someone to look after Ace and Mike's there saying, oh, yeah, all the women can come back to my mum's because she conveniently runs a guest house. Uh, I reckon Mike has got holes in the wall, drilled in the walls, and moves paintings to perv on people in the shower. Yeah. Or we've got a HH Holmes situation here with Mike, haven't we? There's hidden yeah. corridors and all sorts in this B&B. But... Um, Yes, Ace goes back to Mike's 
nonce hotel or whatever it is. And the doctor goes to the calf and meets Jeffrey from the Fresh Prince of Bel Air. <laughs> fucking, I fucking love seeing him. Uh, and they just talk bollocks about sugar for 10 minutes. No, right. Okay. You did not get the point of that conversation whatsoever. no 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 i i did i did it's it I, I get the whole point of it and the ramifications of changing things in time and also the history and and and, and the slavery hint uh, conversations i get i get all that I, I do but it seemed to take a little bit of time to get round to the important part because the doctor was just talking about the sugar in his tea I completely got it. Yeah. No, I'm, I'm not. I'm not. That, I'm not that much of a fucking moron. You know. <laughs> I answered. I just had to check. <laughs> Even after all these years, I sometimes wonder. <laughs> that was unnecessary. I'm sorry. Uh, yeah, my brain's not quite working today. <laughs> the, the one you've got left. Um, but I, I just sort of pop for this conversation because it, I do like it when the doctor gets a bit sort of introspective and starts wondering about the cosmic ramifications of, of all these things because I quite like to do that myself on occasion until it all gets too big for me and I start getting scared of the universe mm. um, and just the fact that it's happening with the guy who played Jeffrey in Fresh Prince of Bel-Air it, yeah. really, it just really really popped me now um, also sorry Dan go on no it's alright I was just, just going to say if it, it, it's the whole thing where he's talking about putting sugar in his tea and the different perspective you know, from this guy working in a cafe uh, who's obviously come to England from uh, from from Kingston in, in Jamaica. But he, say, he says, if the sugar business never got started, my grandfather wouldn't have been kidnapped and sold in Kingston in the first place. I'd be an African. Yeah. And it's just like, and the doctor's talking about, you know, sugar production and manufacturing. And, and from this bloke's perspective, because you never actually get his name either. That's the that's the strange one. Um, he's saying, "Oh well, it goes deeper than just the manufacture and production of the sugar. Look at the history." And I thought it was a real good sort of um, contrast of perspectives. Yeah, yeah, totally, totally. Again, it's 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 a quite a deep conversation in a surreal setting with Jeffrey from the Fresh Prince. <laughs> it's just so you know. Sylvester McCoy's doctor in yeah. a cafe in London in the sixties, and then after all that sort of chatting and and, and all the um, all the analogies and stuff like that, it ends with him saying, "In my, in my opinion, the best thing is just to get on with it." Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, um, with regards to the cafe, then now I can't find anything online that actually confirms this for me but I'm as sure as I can be that that is the set that is used for Ian Beale's calf in EastEnders. I'm as, I'm, I'm as certain as I fucking can be that that's the same same set. The layout's well the same, done. the tables are the same, where, where the, the, the kitchen at the back is the same, the, even to the point where the signs in the windows are hanging in the same places. I'm as sure as I can be that they've used the the EastEnders cafe for that particular set there, but I can't find any confirmation online. So anyone listening, if, if you know that whether I'm correct or not, uh, please let us know online um, at the Doctor Who pod on Twitter, because I'm pretty sure it is. I don't watch EastEnders, but let's go with yes. I'm going to give you that one. Okie doke. Brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You, you say about signs in the window. It, 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 we will see a terrible sign in the window um, coming up very soon. But we'll get to that when we get there. Next up, uh, we're at a funeral parlour. And 
there's a fella I recognise working on a coffin. So I went to uh, to have a look at who this was because it was bugging me. Like I know his face. He must have been in loads. The guy's name is William Thomas, and he played the guy. The character's name is Martin. They're in the funeral parlour. He was okay. actually in uh, Boomtown in the Eccleston days, and it turns out he played Gwen Cooper's dad, Geraint, in uh, Torchwood. Oh, okay. Obviously, I've not seen Torchwood, but yeah, that's that's pretty cool little tie-in, isn't it? Yeah, really good looking, but it, it's weird how much his brain is like seared into my mind mm. from being in those two things because I didn't recognise anything else he was in. I just knew his face from those bits. That's mad, <laughs> isn't it? <laughs> it's, it um, yeah, it's a bit ridiculous. Um, so yeah, the doctor's in there, and there's a, a sort of funky-looking casket. Um, he basically gives his name, and then Mar- Martin sort of scuttles off. And he just orders, the doctor just orders the casket to open. It's all spooky and smoky and, and all that. And he puts Ace's back in there and says, I'll see what you make of that. And I love the fact that Martin's on the phone and he's calling his boss. And he's saying, I, I thought he was an old geezer with white hair. Yeah, that's great, isn't it? <laughs> it's just such a great little touch. Mm-hmm. Um, and we go from all this and, and the, the, then the bat pops out and the doctor orders the casket to close and, the doctor's telling the casket to follow him and it's, it's levitating and looks, again, really good for 1988. And Martin sleeps it float past and passes out <laughs> from the shock. But you know the one thing that ruins this bit? Go on. It cuts back to Ace at the, at the guest house. She's obviously not long out of the shower where Mike's been watching because he's there for a really awkward flirt. Yeah, it's not good, is it? It's not good no. at all. Um, uh, we'll just skip past Nancy Mike, shall we? It's not a good look. Uh, but we no. do find here, though, because he has to nip out to make a phone call or he has to do something quickly. He's off to check things at the association. There you go, right. But he's on the phone with Ratcliffe. What's he That's doing, old dumb. sneaky Nancy Mike, eh? It just cannot be trusted at all. Because at the same time, uh, Ratcliffe is there with uh, with wannabe Davros, asking what happens when the hand of, o- hand of Omega will be, will be acquired, and that's when he gets told that he'll share power if he has the stomach for it and, and deaths and all that. And Ratcliffe mm-hmm. just stands there and says, "Well, war is hell." Yeah, he's an horrible bastard. He really is. He really is. And then we get, it, it, like I said, it jumps around quite a lot of this, but at no point did he ever feel lost because then we're, we're with the doctor who's walking along with uh, with a vicar. Yes. And, and they're discussing a short notice funeral, but the grave's been prepared for about a month. And then we find out the vicar's blind and he remarks on the doctor's voice changing, which I loved yeah. as well. Again, and saying, clever touch, isn't it? And, and the silence of the pallbearers as the coffin's floating. <laughs> um, and the doctor said, "I know it's changed. my voice has changed several times, and it's it's just so good." And this is where it all starts to draw together because Ratcliffe answers the phone. He tells the caller to stay with the doctor, uh, not to answer questions, and tells the wannabe Davros that his man has found what they're looking for. But the uh, but wannabe Davros says the end. Their enemies have found his man. So it's all going to come to a head now. And that's, yeah, it's Mike on the phone and the headmaster's watching him. And then we find out about renegade dialects and Mike and the head, Mike and old uh, Hitler headmaster have a, have a bit of a scuffle and, and the headmaster gets, uh, gets his brain switched off. Mm, yes. The nonce kills Hitler. Yes. Well, he, Mike didn't <laughs> kill him. 
Mike didn't actually kill him. I think that was the uh, that was the Imperial Daleks. Ah, right, yeah. Oh, yeah, of course, yeah. yeah. Um, <sighs> let's not give get... Peter's credit for things they didn't do. No, let's not. Let's not give them any credit for anything. Um, <laughs> uh, Ace is back at Mike's, as you mentioned. Everyone else is back at Mike's. Mike is back at Mike's. This is not long um, after all this has gone down at the graveyard. Mike's made his way back there and has decided that everyone needs to head back to, I suppose, I suppose what they're using as their command center, I guess, which is part of the school, isn't it? Um, but Ace has to stay behind for some reason. Yeah. Not having that. Everyone else can go, but Ace, you have to stay behind. And this is where we get a really cool moment, but also something that's pretty freaking terrible, Dan, isn't it? It is. It, the Doctor presents Ace this electric bat, for want of a better word. He, he's upgraded the uh, the baseball bat. It now has some sort of charge to it, and, and you know, it's all fun. Mike gets even creepier when he tells Ace he'll be back for six and to have the tea on. Yeah, what the, um, what the hell? He's gone from perving on a child to trying to wife the child. Uh, which isn't great. And the doctor pulls his whole thing of, you know, saying, no, I don't have time to explain, just trust me, all that crap. Um, then we have Ratcliffe's whole speech about <laughs> revealing that he's a full-on Nazi yeah. that we discussed before. And while Ace is, is there, there's, there's a bit more about the evacuation and the doctor's coordinating plans for once links to Jodrell Bank, basically wanting to scan the atmosphere for the mothership. Ace is back at the guest house doing a bridge. She flicks on the TV. She's sort of pottering about. And there's a sign in the window that says, no coloreds. Mm. Ace looks suitably disgusted. No, sorry, is that or is that spelt right as well? I know it's a real pedantic thing, to, but I'll, I'll tell you why in a moment. Is that spelt right? I don't think it is. I believe so. Because I read but it as no, yeah, of course. I read it as no color reds, color reds. I read it as right. So for I mean, two, we're two, arguing two, about we're arguing about the grammar of racists. No, um, hang on, but, but for about two, three, because I'm the reason I'm bringing this up is because it took me a few seconds to actually twig about how horrific that sign is. Because I read it and I'm like, no color reds, color reds. What the fuck's a co- oh, okay. It took me like an extra couple of seconds to twig exactly what that was, you know? Uh, no, I don't, because I read it right the first I read it right immediately. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, it, it's... What I find about this is Ace looks suitably disgusted and, and excuses himself and leaves, mm-hmm. which, as you would. Yeah, yeah. She's, she's going back to the because she, she's picked up a radio, hasn't she? And this made her suddenly go, "Oh shit, I've left my stereo at the school." Yeah, but that fucking sign, man. It, with Doctor Who, you know, when there's a whole, there might, you know, there's things often happening now where people say, "Oh, Doctor Who's gone." It was quote unquote gone work and all that shit. I refer them back to <laughs> to everything Doctor Who's done since it started, pretty much mm-hmm. like this. You know, c- c- effectively condemning racism as any right-minded person should yeah yeah it's um, just but it, it does like especially you know in modern times it, you look and it's got fucking hell mm-hmm. <laughs> they wouldn't even i suppose when they're in 63 as horrific as it is that sort of thing did happen back then mm. so i suppose in 88 they're being 
historically correct for the time frame they're supposed to be in, and they're shining a light on it and pointing out how bad it is by Ace's reaction. Mm. I wonder if this story was made now in 2023, if that would even be there, where they just not have the sign through risk of offending people. Do you know what I mean? Probably would, yeah. Mm. Depending on who, depending on who it's made by and and, and whatnot, it's because it, it it's a facing up to history without condoning the actions. Yeah, but I don't think people do that as much anymore. People would rather just change what they thought of history or ignore things. You know, I don't think it's as what's what's your basis for that? Can you give me an example? Well, no, I just, I just mean, I don't think it's as prominent. No, I'm, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not calling you out in in any in any way. It's, I was just trying to establish whether it's a gut feeling or not, because I think with one of the things we've said in terms of Doctor Who is that it's too on the nose now. Right, you know, okay. Throughout the Jodie Whittaker era, whereas this is actually relatively subtle. Yeah, okay. I, I just think that with with the Whittaker era, then. The way certain things are dealt with with that, it's it is a bigger deal in the episodes, and it is shining a light on things, and as you said, kind of unsubtle. But with regards to, um, oh, with the Whitaker era, it's things like you know, global warming is bad, pollution is bad, and all this sort of stuff, right? Okay, I get that. But with regards to the actual physical sign, though, the writing saying no coloreds or no color reds or whatever <laughs> I read it as, um, I don't think that sign would be made by a prop department and put on a TV show now in 2023. I think what they we would need just to do what we need to do then is rewatch Rosa. Right. The episode on Rosa Parks and the civil yeah. rights movement that Jodie Whittaker did. Um, right. Because quite to be quite honest, the, the longer we go on about this, we run the danger of being two aging white blokes discussing racism oh yeah of course which, yeah, no, yeah, which yeah, neither of us can fully appreciate what, what well, i think, I think, what, I think what I do, right it, and i mean this genuinely um between now and our next recording we'll watch rosa where you know the civil rights movement is the main theme and maybe not on it but you know not any great length but just see how it was you know how that sort of thing was handled yeah no, what i think what i mean more is that the way the Rosa episode is done is very well done. It's on the nose, as you said. It's incredibly unsubtle and on the nose. But the whole story was about that particular time and that particular lady and what happened and so on. That was the whole point okay. of the story. Yeah. This is more of a... Uh, yeah, I see what you mean. With it as an, as an incidental kind of thing. Exactly. If, the, if, that, was, if that sign was not on the window... It wouldn't have changed the story at all. And mm. I think in 88, they've done that and they put it in for a reason and had Ace's reaction to prove a point. I don't think in 2023, they do that without it being a bigger, less subtle, more on the nose kind of thing. Like you said about the Rosa episode and so on. I don't think they have that sign. I don't think somebody looks at that sign with that word on it just to make a momentary point. I don't think that happens. Mm. To be honest, in that regard, I can't really comment because I don't watch a lot of modern telly outside of Doctor Who, <laughs> right? <laughs> and the Marvel, <laughs> and, the Marvel and, and the Marvel series, but it's it's an interesting debate. Not not one I feel entirely qualified to have. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> Let's move on. And, and, and um, always, whenever we get into any of these topics, we have to we have to remind everyone we are two white men of a certain age, and we're not trying to offend. We're just trying to figure everything out. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, 
before we move on, because we're getting very, very close now to the cliffhanger of this particular part of the story, there's a really cool moment still in that front room where the horrific sign is, where Ace turns on the television. And obviously TV's back in this day. They take a little while to warm up. So she's banging it, wondering what isn't coming on. She gets up and wanders off. The TV comes on behind her. So it's almost like an afterthought. And and that's how TVs obviously used to operate back in the day. They warm up and and so on. And it's the BBC and it's playing certain music. So I'm not sure it would have been on air yet Mm. at this point on a Saturday. I think because the TV used to come on later in the day, didn't it? Um, And as Ace goes to leave, bearing in mind now we're there overnight. So this is Saturday, November the 23rd in the timeline of the show. Um, Ace goes to leave to go to the school. We hear in the background the TV say coming on. BBC is is coming on air, and it says now um, we have something new, a new sci-fi uh, t- television show, a new sci-fi show for you, um, traveling through time and space with Doctor. And then it cuts off, and yeah. it's the introduction to the very first episode of Doctor Who that would have aired November twenty third at that time. And I that thought was that beautiful. was so clever. Yeah, very meta. Um, but just brilliant. So you've, in in a very short space of time, there you've had, you've had a great insight into Ace as a character in a, in a reaction to the horrific sign, which is is wonderful, and a great commentary on on society. And then we've got this little meta thing just to pop the audience. Um, and yeah, I absolutely I, I, I pop big time for that. Yeah, it was great. It was great. Um, Ace goes back to the school to get a stereo. And effectively, this is the end of part two. There's Daleks fucking everywhere. Yeah. Ace turns her stereo on and for some reason can pick up what the Daleks are saying via her radio. She, <laughs> she, she can pick up she can pick up BBC Radio Scaro or something, I'm guessing. Because she can listen <laughs> to what the Daleks are saying, right? And, uh, <laughs> BBC Radio Scaro, love it. Um, she beats the piss out of a Dalek with her uh Omega enhanced baseball bat before she is completely surrounded by the fantastic looking white and gold Daleks. And that's mm. our cliffhanger. And again, I think for the second part in a row, really good cliffhanger, Dan. Yeah, absolutely. Another really good one, two for two. Um, you know, we've had the doctor facing off with one Dalek, and now we've got Ace surrounded by four or three or four. Yeah, it's brilliant. You're watching that on television, you're thinking, oh my God, how is she going to get out of that? Is this the end? Looking yes. for us, we just we just hit watch next. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And the way she gets out of it is the doctor arrives with some kind of uh, disco light that shoots what looks like laser confetti, and this fucks it's, the Daleks up. It's a communications disruptor, right? Of course, it is. <laughs> yeah. Well, they established well they established that before, and that's the weapon is created. He's not sure it'll work, um, but it'll effectively disrupt the communications between the Daleks, send them a bit loopy. Um, and then he sends Mike in to plant C4 on, on all the Daleks. They get Ace out of there. The doctor, they're all trying to fall back. The doctor's looking at his machine going, yeah, you works. like, will you get the fuck back? Um, and then big booms. Big booms indeed. Um, one of the Daleks, well, all the Daleks are, are, are wrecked by this. And one of them is still alive, according to the two lady scientists, who again, they're not in this masses. They pop up quite regularly, but they don't have much screen time in total, I guess, if you add it all up. But every time they're on screen, interacting with each other or other characters, they're bloody brilliant. I think they're fantastic. Yeah, Professor Rachel and, uh, and Alison uh, yes. saying, saying about how it's um, how it's still active. Then it grabs the doctor. The Dalek grabs the doctor by the throat, and uh, I can't, can't remember if it's Rachel or Alison sparkle bats it to death. 
um, which is when the Doctor realises that they've mutated again and that this mm. one's different to the one at Totters Lane. It's got vestigial limbs and amoeboid sensory organs. Uh, sorry, yeah, the one there, there had that, and then this one has mechanical appendages and bits grafted on, and Ace is just down there on the floor. It's like, yeah, I'm okay, cheers. <laughs> that cracked me up. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, we, we get a look then at the Imperial Dalek mothership because that's on its way to Earth. Um, yeah. And again, 1980s, BBC, not much money, but the inside of this ship, I thought, looked bloody brilliant for what they had to use. Yeah, they did a really good job. Um, it's... Uh, oh, sorry, this was after the Doctor bollocked days while also fixing the leg and yeah. telling, her, telling her off for having the tape deck and if anybody found it and discovered the principles of its function, the whole microchip revolution would take place 20 years early with incalculable incalculable damage to the timeline and that not even the Daleks had damaged the timeline like that. Like, fucking hell. It was a bit of music. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> not even great music, to be fair. But anyway. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but yeah, this, this spaceship, yeah. It's, uh, it's pretty bloody cool. I think, is this the point where the Emperor Dalek comes in? Yes. Yes, the, the, the leader of the Imperial Daleks arrives. And <laughs> it, looks looks like, it looks like a Dalek farted and didn't properly vent it. Yeah, or to me, it was like one of those... Um, uh, do you remember like the old drinks globes that people used to have? The big globe that would open yeah. on the top and there'd be like bottles of booze in there. I'm, I'm looking at that and I'm thinking, that's not a Dalek leader, that's a Dalek waiter. That Dalek's tottering around in the evening after they've done their, you know, their days exterminated and asking if people want some rum and coke and shit. That's what that Dalek is. It doesn't look like a leader <laughs> to me at all, you know? <laughs> yeah, it was a bit like that one. It was, uh, it, it didn't look brilliant. Mm. Um, um, but the gist yeah. of the conversation is, though, that the renegade Daleks have the hand of Omega. So we're now seeing two different factions of Daleks very helpfully in completely different colors to assist us with a battle scene that happens a bit later on. And we're getting more information from the Doctor as well during this whole scenario in little snippets. Basically, uh, the, the gist of the whole scenario we're at, Dan, is the Doctor. <sighs> He wants the Daleks to take the hand of Omega. Yeah. But he didn't factor in that there'd be two separate groups of Daleks fighting over it in London in 1963, which is, mm. you know, a little bit, a little bit of a shitter to his plan, I think. Just a little bit, yeah. I mean, the doctors the doctor wants the Imperials to have it. He's he's trying to man- subtly maneuver the human forces out of the way to keep them out of danger. So that the Daleks will effectively, the Imperials will destroy the Renegades and get the Hand of Omega to where he wants it to be. And we don't fully understand his reasoning for this, but we again, we're along for the ride with the other characters. And I think it's, yes. it's very well done because we're getting to probably halfway through the third part now and we're still just getting a rough idea of what's going on. Yeah. It, it's quite an interesting way of writing the story, I think. Um Renegade Daleks then, we're, we're back in the scrapyard, Renegade Daleks then kill some of Ratcliffe's men. And Ratcliffe mm. is is there saying, what the hell, they were good men, they worked for me, and I'm, we're supposed to be in this together. And the big boss Dalek, who we're assuming is Davros still at this point, turns around and basically says, no, you're my bitch. It's not working together, mate. You, you know, you're a slave to the Daleks. And then the little crash helmet with a Dalek eye comes off. And it's the little girl. It's not Davros. And it's at that point I felt really weird for calling it Gimp Davros in my nose all this time. 
<laughs> Brilliant. Um, the little girl activates what is called the time controller, which is basically <laughs> one, of, one of those electric plastic balls that you could pick up at Wilkinson's for five ninety nine before it's it went to the wall. Yeah, it's that's all it is. And they're passing it off yeah. as some great controller. Yeah, yeah, it is. Um, again, we're moving quite quickly now because the doctor then heads to the scrapyard and shuts off the time controller and then handily leaves a business card just so they know it was him. <laughs> yeah, well, this is, this is also, we've also been given uh, the full information on what the hand of Omega is as well. And yeah. it's the device that Omega used, as we, and we've already seen Omega on this show, uh, the device he used to engineer stars uh, that powered all the time travel experiments. And the Daleks want that for their own for their own time travel to to improve it because at the minute it's a bit crude. But yeah, the, the business card was amusing. I really like that. Um, and this is where we get um, just it, throughout this episode. This is prime Rachel and Allison taking the piss out of the captain territory. I oh, can't yeah. remember exactly what they said, but they're just like, oh, oh all right. Uh, one thing we did gloss over was Rachel giving uh, the captain the absolute bollocks. When oh, he in, said in he, he tried to, yeah, he tried to rip her for not knowing what was going on, and she's like, "Hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on! You didn't hire me. You drafted me. You pulled this fucking bit of law out, plucked me from my nice little life, and now you're whinging at me for not knowing about something no humans ever experienced." And she basically tells him to fucking do one. Yeah, it's great, isn't it? That's glorious moment. So good, so good. Um, what isn't so good is as everyone's running away from the scrapyard. Um, I think they're heading. Are they heading back to the school again? Yes, they are. They're going back to the school at this point. Yeah, right? pretty much. And yeah. the, 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 the doctor tells the captain they've accidentally brought Daleks back with them. Yeah, when uh, Mike blows his cover. Well, he does a little bit more than that beforehand because he asks Ace out, doesn't he? He's just gone full nonce now. Yeah, yeah. He's gone like, we'll take you to the pictures. Yeah. She, says, she says it's fine. I've probably seen it all on telly anyway. Yes. Yeah. Um, and then straight away, Mike wrecks all his hard work with with ace by going oh the daleks they like that no fair enough the the daleks they have the hand of omega why don't they go whoops i shouldn't have said that you knobhead mike yeah he's he's a penis and then he tries to throw ace under the bus and Mm -hmm. she's like well i'm knobhead and calls him all sorts of names um and then the imperial craft lands in the schoolyard and blows out the windows of the of the room they're in and this How is brilliant good. was that, by the way? How, that bit again, very good. The, land, the landing looked fantastic. Yes. Bear in mind, it's 88. I like the windows blowing out and the dr- the dramatics of this craft coming down. And this is what I was going to speak to you about budget-wise and so on earlier on, Dan. Now, this story came in massively over budget, apparently. And the reason Fucking it came in budget. over... <laughs> yeah, the reason it came in over budget is hugely down to the shuttlecraft. Rather than have some kind of... Uh, CGI effect, which we have later on when it flies away, or have some little model and miniatures filmed in a certain way that they do with Dalek ships in the past. They built this shuttlecraft for real. Wow! And if you, and they lowered it onto the onto the set by renting a couple of fucking massive cranes, which cost the BBC a great deal of money. And if you watch it back, you can just about see the starts of the cables at the top of the ship as they're lowering it down <laughs> just for a second. And you know that's came in massively over over budget because of this this shuttlecraft and, and the cranes and all that sort of stuff. But that's basically then the end of part three. And again, ah, brilliant cliffhanger. If it had ended with the spacecraft, yes. Okay. It doesn't though. 
that bit ends with the doctor looking directly down the camera and saying, I think I might have miscalculated. Don't he sounds like about a, that now. He sounds like a human version of K9 and it just pissed me off. Okay. <laughs> no, not 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 as if it had ended with the with the landing, brilliant. But that line was completely unnecessary and it just it was like, oh fuck off. Mm, okay. Okay, I get that. I thought it was still pretty cool, but Fair enough, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Uh, part four begins basically with Imperial Daleks here to kick some renegade Dalek ass. They're rolling out of their um, incredibly expensive, weird looking uh, shuttlecraft to have a bit of a battle with the renegade Daleks. All of them are a little bit wobbly and trundly yeah. and, and so on. It doesn't look brilliant, but it's kind of the, the 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 nature of Doctor Who, I suppose, with the Daleks, if they're outside and they're on cobbled streets and all that sort of stuff, and then the Drinks Globe sends out the special weapons Dalek. Dan, Emperor do you want to talk Fart. us through this? Emperor, Emperor Fart. Emperor Fart Bubble <laughs> sends out the boner gun. The boner gun. <laughs> it looks like it. It looks like if a Dalek had a hard on. Yeah. Quite well, well endowed, it turns out, Daleks. But it looks yeah. just, it looks like the Imperial Daleks look like you know the white and gold that they're as sleek as a Dalek can get. Then you've got this thing with the. Then you've got. <laughs> it's not got a bun. Sorry, no, I just realised it's, it's not a Dalek with a bun. It's a Dalek with a strap on. Yeah, that's what it is. It's been welded on in the Totters Lane scrapyard. And it's a mess as well. The Imperial Daleks, like you said, Dan, they're white, they're gold, they look fantastic, they're clean, they're, they're sharp, they're to the point. This Dalek's tatty as fuck. Yeah. It's, it's like, it's come really on, mate, have, have some pride in your appearance. Do you know what I mean? I mean, I can't tell anybody to do that. I look like a swamp monster half the time. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it, it doesn't look great. It's effective, though. It, it blows everything up. And yeah. After, after all this, all these Dalek firefights that happen in this episode the most devastating thing is when Mike is trying to plead his case to Ace and that he was only doing Ratcliffe a favour and he thought it was, and all that. And she says, do me a favour and drown yourself. Yeah, she was to the point, weren't she? She weren't messing around with that. Go on, Ace. Yeah, she weren't happy with him. Um, and he, he spouts a lot of far-right bloody rhetoric and, and about, you know, about giving his own people a fair chance. And it's like, shut the fuck up, man. Mm. You, were helping in, you were helping in that, see? The Doctor... Um, he wants to get into the shuttle uh, for reasons, and he bakes himself a zipline. And this is a little bit, you know, John Pertwee esque. I feel of the of the Doctor. Yeah, I, I like this. Yeah, it was quite cool. And the umbrella comes useful. He zips down the line in the umbrella, drops in behind the Dalek that's wired up to the shuttle. That's also, I'm guessing, would be the pilot. I would assume Dan, the navigator, or some description. Yeah, that, that's conveniently locked in. Yeah, yeah, I can't move. The Doctor then plays around with some um, Christmas decorations for a bit, which shorts the Dalek out, so it's safe then for everyone else. Well, that's what they look like. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, you're not wrong, yeah. Um, This allows everyone else to come down to the shuttle and and arrive, and the Doctor then is able to access the computer and find the Dalek's plan, and they're heading back to Scarrow. Yeah, Yeah, with a spare plunger. With a spare golden plunger that the Dalek had in its back pocket, which is how would it reach round to pop that out? This is a really good. I never. I didn't think of that. If the Dalek needs its spare plunger, that means its actual plunger is fucked. So how would it get it out? It must disengage the fucked one, and then there must be like a spring release mechanism in the back that pops it up, 
goes up and over the Dalek, and the Dalek just holds the the stud the, the stub up and, and captures it on there. Or, or there's like, you know, in the evening when the um the drinks globe Dalek is tottering around serving everybody their cocktails, they sort of patch each other. Yeah, farting around. Yeah, um, <laughs> they, they they patch each other up, don't they? I suppose the other Daleks might help put, and you like, you know, Brian, please help me with my plunger, something like that, you know. <laughs> and it, um, oh, I don't know why this has just popped into my head, but we, you know, we like to sort of acknowledge the uh, people behind the scenes. You know, people like um, Pat Gorman who, who yes. play a lot of roles and, and do a lot behind the scenes. Uh, Sky Town was one of the uh, the Dalek operators in this one who was with Doctor. Cool. Uh, so, yeah. Nice. It's all sad. Uh, it's all sad. That's all. That's what he does. He fixes the broken Daleks. Yes, there we go. Um, I've lost where we are now. Oh, we're in the we're in the shuttle, aren't we? And then the Doctor we are, yeah. has found out the plans. They're taking the Hand of Omega back home to Scaro, and the Doctor then tells everyone just to jump out the bottom of the ship. We're going to leave back through the playground because the defences have been uh, disabled. And he gets his brolly stuck in the door. Yeah. Yeah, whilst defiantly shouting at Ace that he can do what he likes and all this sort of stuff. I thought that was quite a cool little touch because McCoy's doctor is a little bit scatty and a little bit, you know, of a clown at times, yeah. but also can be quite aggressive and, and, and assertive. So I thought that was quite a nice little moment with Ace there. Mm, well, yeah, he said, I can, I can do what I want. But all right, nobody said you couldn't, but you are there with your brolly stuck in the door. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, Mike at this point has escaped his captor he's escaped his is is a soldier who's looking after him because he's been a naughty boy and um is running back to go and meet up with ratcliffe again whilst the imperial daleks have now arrived at the scrapyard and are having a big fight with the renegade daleks to try and grab hold of the hand of omega whilst this is going on mike and ratcliffe decide you know what if we nick that funny electric plastic ball thing they got from wilco's We'll probably have something to bargain with because they need that. Yep. So they grab this this you know five ninety nine prop for, from Wilkinson's and, and they peg it with this this toy. And um, this is when the little girl she goes all you know Emperor from Star Wars shit here. That's exactly Start, what I've got written. Yeah, she starts zapping the fuck out of everyone with lightning from her fingertips. It's like whoa, where'd that come from? <laughs> Pretty cool, isn't it? She goes full Palpatine and, yeah. uh, and kills kills Ratcliffe. So that's one less Nazi on the face of the earth, which is good. Um, the Daleks are fighting and the Doctor's fixing the transmat and, or, you know, fixing it up. And uh, we get Alison and Rachel bringing down a TV saying, when he said we needed help, we thought in a science aspect, not lugging down a great old TV. Mm-hmm. And Ace basically brings the whole thing about why the Daleks are fighting and, and puts the whole thing of, of racial superiority into perspective by saying the, uh, the Renegades are blobs, the Imperials are bionic blobs, it's all about racial purity with the Daleks and they're uh, ramming the war to the death over their impure blobbiness. Yeah, I liked that. I thought I was... Re- and that is so... That's so ace in a snippet. I thought that was really good, you know? Yeah, that is one. It, like I said, it's, it's just a real, a real real good little segment um, mm-hmm. just highlighting how stupid that kind of mentality is. Um, the Doctor wants to use the, the rigged-up transmat to see which blobs are winning. And Rachel asks how he rewires the alien machinery like that, and he's just not something as easy when you've got nine hundred years' experience. <laughs> yeah, brilliant. Uh, the, um, the Imperials have the hand of Omega. Emperor yeah, Bart is pleased. Been. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, but Mike's still won. got the time controller. Yeah, and he goes back 
to his mum's house, which I suppose is is, is normal procedure if you're being chased <laughs> by you, you nip over oh, to your mum. Oh, yeah. oh, <laughs> uh, the Daleks, the Imperial Daleks, as we said, have won. They've taken the the coffin, the Hand of Omega, and they've left in their shuttle to go meet back up with the mothership. The Doctor then, when they arrive on the mothership, has a little chat with them. And he, he says about, you know, and again, we see how manipulative this version of the Doctor is. And it was a real conscious decision in the writing that this was going to lead somewhere. Sylvester McCoy's Doctor in his later season was a different, more manipulative, darker character than he was in his first season. And it was going to lead to mm. further developments in the Doctor's character. And we're seeing it here. And it turns out the Doctor has manipulated the whole scenario to get the Daleks to use the Omega device and it backfires and vaporizes Scaro and their ship and so on. But before all of that, the doctor has an argument with the drinks cabinet, um, farty general Dalek who rolls back the lid of his drinks cabinet. And that's fucking Davros there. What a swerve. It was Davros farts all along. It was Davros farts all along. <laughs> that's just, that's why the smell, that's why the smell beefy. And he looks he looks gnarly as well, this Davros, doesn't he? He's got black teeth and a black tongue and he's dribbling black shit and all that, you know? Yeah, and he says, oh, you've cast off the last vestiges of your humanity. Mm. Or, you, or whatever, you know, your physical form or whatever, and it's just like, oh, it's brilliant. But the way the Doctor manipulates this conversation, manipulates Davros, is just masterful. He knows exactly which buttons to push. And like you say, it is a, it is a darker side because the Doctor's trying to get Davros to destroy his own planet. Yeah. Which is like, ooh, I know, I know Skyro's dead at this point. Is it's effectively a dead planet? But Jesus Christ, it's it's somewhere else. Yeah, and we get the we get the quote that is, I think, quite often linked with Sylvester McCoy's Doctor here, because he's ranting, he's mocking Davros. Davros is saying, "We are the Daleks, the supreme beings," and all the usual Davros ranty mm. stuff he, he falls back upon. And the Doctor starts mocking him and and sort of yeah. you know copying him and saying, "Yeah, and you know we are this. We will kill everyone. We are the superior race. There will be you know destruction and unlimited rice pudding, etc., etc." Mm. And I thought that was brilliant. It's just so funny. The fact that he's just whipping the piss out of this guy, well, not guy, this alien being who yeah. is supposed to be all powerful, and he's just openly taking the piss out of him. It's great. Yeah, but it's very um, sort of Capaldi, actually. Yeah, that line that yeah, to right the line, they go back to that with Capaldi, and he's saying, "No, don't make me angry. I'll destroy the planet." And he's there saying, "No, well, you know, go on then," and he's faking fear. Mm. And just it's brilliantly manipulative. And it's not until he launches the hand of Omega weapon that he realizes that Davros realizes the trickery. But it's it gets oh, excuse me, it gets even darker later on where the the rebound from the weapon is coming back. Skyro's dead, it destroyed long gone, it's coming back to destroy the mothership. And yes. Sylvester McCoy just looks at him as goodbye, Davros. It hasn't been pleasant. Yeah, but he gets away, Ooh. doesn't he? He's, he gets away on an escape pod, ready to fight the Doctor another day, apparently. Yeah. It's a good end. That is a good ending. Yeah, definitely. Meanwhile, back at Mike's house, um, he's sat there with a gun, feeling noncy or whatever, I don't know. And it, Ace arrives back there because she's given chase to Mike to find out what's going on. The little mm. girl also arrives because she's after her wibbly-wobbly plastic um, time-controller ball. 
Mike tries to act all badass with a gun and says, just stay there. And he's the most unconvincing badass I've ever seen in my life. Um, yeah. I was surprised Ace didn't just laugh in his face, to be fair. Mm. Mike opens the door. I mean, bear in mind, he's holding somebody hostage with a gun and hiding from the aliens. And it's all quite tense. And there's a lot of shit going on. And then we just get ding dong. And Mike's like, I'll get it. Pops over and opens the door. <laughs> it's like, what do you think it was? Like an Avon delivery or something? What are you playing at, mate? You know, think yeah, you've, not, you've not had a pizza, have you? No, exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I've got a bit peckish. It's my subway. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I know I've taken you off stage, but I could fucking murder a kid out. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it's the little girl, and she uses her Star Wars special effects to to zap Mike and Mike takes a crazy stuntman bump up the stairs and wipes out the whole banister doesn't he I thought that was quite good yeah it looked good yeah well then bonus one less peanut butter there we go he's dead very starey eyed dead man as well you know when well, they cut to his dead body he's just looking like you know well he's not his eyes are going to be darting about either he's dead no not bad I know that but they're really kind of oh never mind fucking hell um <laughs> <laughs> Um, you can always hear the defeatism in my voice then, can you? Um, yeah, I hear that a lot of chain wrestling when Mags is talking to you. Yeah, yeah, it does happen a great deal. Whilst this is going on, we cut back to the doctor, and he is talking to, I suppose, the head Dalek from the Renegade faction. Mm. And he's telling the Dalek that there's he's on his own. There's no... There's no superiors. There's no people. Uh, no Daleks beneath him anymore. There's nobody on his level. His planet is dead. He's on his own, and the Dalek kind of kills itself. It reminded me of the scene in the end scene in Dalek. Yeah, and I'm not completely sure I get on with this. Who's to say it actually died? It could have, like, been like in later on we'll see an emergency temporal shift. It wouldn't explain the dust that was left behind, but it, yeah, in, in my in my head, that Dalek is not dead. It's just done some sort of shift, left behind some residue, and that is the Dalek that ends up in Van Staten's vault. Ah, oh, okay. I'll buy that. I'll go along with that. You convinced me. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that's good. Uh, because this Dalek has gone, the little girl is free of their control, and I think the acting by this young lass here is really good. She's yeah. this the control of her mind, her, her 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 you know whatever's in her head is going. She's in pain. She's screaming, thrashing around, drops to the deck, and I thought she did fantastic here. The little girl uh, and Ace picks her up, gives her a cuddle, and that's mm. kind of it. The Daleks are gone. Um, the Imperial Daleks have been destroyed. Davros has escaped, but okay, you know he's always going to escape. He's like the master, isn't he? he never actually yeah. dies. And that's kind of where we finish, apart from everyone going to Mike's funeral, which I thought was a bit weird because he's a Nazi, yeah. Nazi sympathizing weirdo. You know? <laughs> yeah. Fuck that mm-hmm. dude. Oh, well, but there yeah. we go. <laughs> Remembrance of the Daleks, then, Dan. To sum up, what are your closing thoughts? Well, thank you, Gary, for picking this one, because I've really enjoyed it. I've ripped on some of the uh, nonsier aspects of it, as we always will on this for this programme, because a lot of classic humours like that. Um, it telegraphed some of the finer points, you know, like Mike being a double agent and, and the Doctor having ultimate control of the, of the plan and the situation. But it did really well. I said before, it, it's, it's a 
plot where the doctor is the smartest person in the room, the only one that knows what's going on. And it takes us along for a ride very well, well paced. Um, nice to see more of Doctor and Ace's sort of student teacher, sometimes strained relationship. Um, yeah. Downside was the awkward flirting and the noncy aspects. Not the best thing I've ever seen, but certainly uh, certainly a good uh, a good one. If again going back to my numerical ratings from last season, I'd be looking at a seven seven point five. Okay, fair enough. Um, I bloody loved this. And again, I know it's a bit of bias because it's a nostalgia factor for me. There are certain stories that really, from, from, from all of Classic Who, when I used to watch the videotapes with my mate back in the day, there are certain stories from all of Classic Who that really hit the nostalgia factor for me. But this yeah. one, especially so, because I remember watching it as it was broadcast live. And that just means so much to me. I love the white and gold Daleks. Mm-hmm. Uh, I love this story. Ace and the Doctor are fantastic. Mike can get to fuck. He's a fucking weirdo. But everything else about this is just bloody brilliant. I loved this story, Dan. Yeah, I can see why. And like I say, when you've got that emotional attachment to it, it can only make it better. There we go. Uh, very quickly, before we depart then, what are we doing next week? Uh, I'll tell you when my, my notes come up. I will just be a second. I don't have it to hand. Next week, we have got some Patrick Troughton, and it's Matt Lewis's pick. We'll be looking at the Seeds of Death. Nice. Love a bit of Triton. Love a bit of Triton. Yeah, Great stuff. Absolutely. I can love the little scamp. I'm, I'm looking forward to that, and I know Matt works here is wrong. Yeah, there we go. Uh, before we go then, mate, John, let everyone know whereabouts they can find your good self and the content you're involved in online. Yeah, just a brief outro for me as I've got to go empty the dog. You can find me on Twitter at DanGriffey21, talking all kinds of bollocks. And you can hear me on UTT Podcast, Unbooking the Territory, over on Twitter there with our side project, Unstacking the Dadatory. Uh, the former is the first and last of wrestling. The second is Big Daddy and Giant Haystacks all the way through the late 70s to the most watched wrestling match of all time when 18 million people tuned in to watch them uh, on FA Cup final day 1981. And I'm with my strike partners, Matt Lewis and Connor from Connor's Footy on the volley, providing uh, ultimate commentary for Premier League games and all sorts of football-based podcasting goodness. Always brilliant stuff as well. Anything I'm involved in, you can find via the network that carries this show. That's at SJP World Media on all your podcast players, platforms, and providers on YouTube, on Twitter, on Instagram, on Facebook, everywhere like that. And you can find this show itself on Facebook and Twitter. And that's by following at the Doctor Who pod. That's at the D-R-W-H-O-P-O-D at the Doctor Who pod. I bloody love this, mate. Can't wait to talk Triton next week. I'm so glad we're back. So my pal, can't wait. It's been bloody fantastic and it made me feel a whole hell of a lot better when I was a bit ropey before. Oh, good stuff, mate. Good stuff. And to everyone else, as always, thank you for listening. I farted during your outro, but I, I muted my mic and I really wish I hadn't because I could have like just shouted Davros and then farted and it'd have been like the thing in the show. <laughs> Pretty much, yeah. It's the end, but the moment has been prepared for. I don't want to go. That was a nice nap. Now, down to business. Oh my god, I fucking hate having an iPhone, mate. Absolutely fucking hate it.
I've never had anything else, so I'm used to it. Yep, my girls and Sharon, they will probably love it. I can't stand it. Oh, why is my hand started aching? Wanking. No, it's the different hand. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> That's definitely going on the end of it, because that was all recorded. <laughs> oh, brilliant. Shall we begin? Wanking. <laughs> <laughs> Oh dear. Right. Okay. Let us know online um at the Doctor Who Pod on Twitter. Because I'm pretty sure it is. I don't watch extenders, but let's go with yes. I'm gonna give you that one. Okie doke, brilliant. <laughs> right, <laughs> um, one second. I'll, I'll tell you what, I'll though, Hang on, oh, go on, I'm going to have to disappear for a second. I've just had a message from Sharon. She's out at Liv's football. They've gone to support because mm. Liv's been left out, um, saying she's forgot to put the fucking chicken in the oven. Can I do it, please? So I'm going to have to disappear <laughs> for a few minutes. All right? Go for it. All right, I won't be a set. No bother. So you, you, you said about signs in the window, so I'll take it from there. Okay. Um, after a burp. Mm. <laughs> Brilliant. Excuse me. <laughs> 